All right, I want to welcome you today. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians class number 10. 1 Thessalonians class number 10. We'll be in chapter 5 today, verse number 1. Now, last time, <clears throat> pardon me, last time we covered uh, verse 13 through 18 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we pointed out the fact that many times when this passage is used, it's a passage that focuses on the rapture of the church, and it certainly does teach the rapture of the church, and there's no question about that. But what is really the focus of this passage of Scripture, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, is present comfort. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Verse number Verse number 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So verse 13 and verse 18, bracket those verses, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Verse 13 and verse number 18, bracket those verses with a very strong indication of what the context is. The purpose of telling us about the rapture in that passage, the purpose of God describing the coming of the Lord and God bringing those who are asleep in Christ with him is for our present comfort. Now, in verse number, uh, in, in chapter number five, rather, uh, the first uh, uh, great portion of this chapter is dealing with that coming in a more specific way. In other words, a uh, in a way that's more directly related to the coming of the Lord itself. And so, the again, I say in chapter 4, the, the doctrine of the coming of the Lord is focused on present day comfort. And that might be 1500s or 1400s or 1800s or 1900s or early 2000s. Makes no difference. That's what they were there for. But in chapter 5, the emphasis on the coming of the Lord emphasizes more the actual coming of the Lord. And it starts out in a very it starts out in a very peculiar way. If you were under the impression that the second advent teaching in chapter 4 was specifically aimed at teaching the second advent, then chapter number 5 and uh, verse number 1 makes very little sense. Uh, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And so uh, when he talks about the second advent, and I normally throw the rapture in with the doctrine of the second advent because of course the rapture is uh, the beginning of that season i wouldn't say that the rapture and the second advent are the same thing but the the second advent which is the return of christ to this world belongs to the season of uh, the the second advent uh, itself i should say uh, and the rapture belongs to that to that season more so than it does the church age itself. So, uh, when you're talking about uh, the day and time in which we live, that's totally separate from the day in which Christ will come to this world. And so, I uh, see the beginning of that season as the rapture itself. In other words, the rapture. I said all that to say this, and I got distracted in my mind a little bit, so it might not have come out correctly. But I, uh, I'll put it this way for you. 
the rapture of the church is the end of the church age. And going forward from that, you're dealing with the nation of Israel and you're dealing with the judgment of the whole world in regards to its response to the church age and in, re re in regards to its treatment towards Israel. Uh, truly, when the Lord shows up, and if you read that in uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, you'll see that one of the first activities that the Lord involves himself in once he returns to this earth is the judgment of the, nation in re, uh, the nations in regards to how they treated uh, his children, uh, the children of Israel. So that's very, that's very clear and very understandable from Matthew 24 and 25. And so... Uh, you're, when you're talking about the rapture of the church, the exit of the church from this world, you're talking about a beginning of a period of time in which God will deal with the world. He'll deal with the nation of Israel. Then he'll physically return to this earth and he will uh, judge the nations and he will uh, settle his people he will reestablish his people and in regards to that the rapture the second advent the judgments and the millennial reign i consider all those things to be uh, associated with the second advent doctrine somebody uh, i mentioned the second advent with regard to first uh, thessalonians chapter four and i know people study their bible they might question why i did that most of us see the rapture as the culmination of the church age and it is that it certainly is that but it you could also see it as the beginning of the uh, second advent season and perhaps uh, uh, that's understandable enough and i'll move on but of the times and seasons brethren you have no need that i write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord now that is a specific reference to the uh, second advent itself the the day of the lord so cometh as a thief in the night for when they shall say not we shall say boy the, I, I, I harp on this from time to time but when you're reading the new testament pay very close attention to the words us and them especially when you're listening to paul the bible tells us plainly that paul is the apostle to the gentiles uh, simon peter was an apostle to the the children of israel uh, that there's no question about that uh, the book of romans classifies these things christ was a minister of the circumcision and paul was a minister to the gentiles and also the bible uh, makes it very clear that Paul was ordained to go to the Gentiles with the same authority that Peter and James and John and those apostles were ordained to go uh, not just to Jerusalem but into all the world and preach the gospel. But they were specifically uh, they were sp they were specifically ordained to be a witness to those Jews and Gentiles. And certainly you'll see that when you get over to. Uh, the book of James and the book of uh, Peter and you'll see that these things are um, aimed directly at the Jews in many cases for instance uh, James chapter number 1 will tell you very specifically that uh, he says James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad now where is he talking about 
scattered abroad where? Where are they scattered at? Well, they're scattered throughout the whole world. And that's exactly what their mandate was to preach. And so that mandate that God gave them to preach to the Jew, God also gave that same mandate to Paul to preach. And when Paul preaches and when when Paul writes these epistles, he's very strong in the use of the word us. Us. That's the church. God has uh, predestinated us. Now, Paul never says God predestinated me because it's not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. I am saved personally. I am saved. And because I am part of the body of Christ, I'm predestinated to be conformed into the image of his son. Now, the Bible never speaks about the predestination of me to be saved. But it talks about the predestination of us. Saved people as a body. We are a body. We are not just individuals. We're members in particular. And we have our own individual callings and purposes. But we as individuals are a part of a larger body. And so when the Bible talks about predestination, he talks about us. And perhaps you might think it's uh, kind of foolish to spend nine minutes dwelling on something so simple as this. But it's very important that you see the world through uh, uh, these uh, types of glasses. It's time. It's it's right that you see the world uh, through this viewpoint. It is us. We are saved. It is them. They are lost. And it's not that God has excluded them. They can be included, uh, but they must come the same way that believers came and that is by believing of course but a man must put his faith and trust in the shed blood of the lord jesus christ and so these are very important very important uh things to to look for and to look at when you uh are reading the scriptures you could be very confused if this said for when we shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon us that makes it mean a whole different thing in regards to the church. And many things you will find are clear, uh, clarified. Many things are made clear in the book of First uh, John, in the book of Romans. Uh, here in this passage, many things are made clear when you see this designation between us or we. And then on the opposite side of that, them or they, whatever the case may be. And the Bible, some, uh, the Bible oftentimes gives us references to describe who they are. The Bible talks about in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the children of disobedience. That's them. The Bible talks about the children of God and it talks about the sons of God. That's us. And so the distinctions are made and the distinctions are are described and defined and we have to study the word of God in order to find out what those things are. The more we study, the more confidence we have in the teachings that have been handed down to us. And also not just the ones that have been handed down to us, but, but the teachings that we can find and that can be revealed to us in the scripture even still today. But the Bible tells us specifically uh, here about the second advent. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. It'll look like that they've got things figured out. 
If you follow the narrative, you'll believe that they have all the answers and that all the experts agree and concur. And we're finally going to put in place this system that's going to bring about peace, going to bring about safety. And every time that the world talks about peace and safety, a couple of million people will die because of it. Uh, Peace comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and safety comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace comes from God and safety comes from God. Health comes from God. Life comes from God. You cannot live, uh, I started to say you can't live a healthy lifestyle. That's not exactly true. Uh, a healthy lifestyle is a godly lifestyle. Well, you know, if you eat, uh, you know, if you eat an egg yolk, you're going to be unhealthy. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true at all. Um, people who eat egg yolks live to be about 70, and people who don't eat, eat egg yolks live to be about 70. And people who jog down the street and eat right, they have health problems. And people who don't jog down the street and that, uh, that don't eat uh, a healthy diet have problems. People have problems because sin. Sin is a curse and sin brought curse into the world. We have a cursed world and all that health food out there is bad for you because it comes from a cursed ground. Health food is bad for you. And diet and exercise is bad for you. And the Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. Well, godliness profits extremely. Godliness is the profit. But you live a life of godliness and you're going to die unless the rapture takes place. Uh, we're in a cursed world and you ought not to forget that. But the experts have made you believe that if you eat right and low cholesterol and, and go to the doctor and get a checkup and, and get your cardio uh, in for the week and, and do all these things, it's going to make you healthier. And it's, it's not. It's not. It's just not going to do it. The experts say it is, but when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And that that is uh, uh, the uh, really a great inspiration for terror, really. And I don't mean like uh, terrorist actions. I'm talking about uh, the Bible says because we see the severity of the Lord, we persuade men because we see how how important it is to get right with God and to be on God's side. He said this is one of the reasons that leads us not to blow ourselves up like a Muslim, but to go knock on people's door, to stand on the side of the street with the scripture verse, hoping somebody will come by and read it and the, the word of God will take effect in their life. It's why those crazy men preach on the street and get ridiculed. And, and you know, those guys, uh, some of them, uh, you know, uh, are doing a great job and some of them are you know making things harder uh for the for the rest of the street preachers but uh, you, there's there's good ways to go about things and there's bad ways to go about things there's wise ways to go about things and there's unwise ways to go about things uh, you can preach good from a pulpit or you can preach foolishly from the pulpit you can preach good uh, from the street corner or you can preach like a fool from the street corner and I mean fool in its worst sense not like First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 you can preach foolishly uh, or you can preach wisely uh, and those are th- those are a thousand conversations that we could have but what I'm the point that I'm trying to get across to you is is that men are standing on the street corner and they ought to be preaching because 
God is the author and finisher of our faith because God is the author and finisher of our health. God is the author and finisher of our life. God holds our life and, and our breath in His hand. You can go to the doctor all you want and eat all the health food that you want and do all the cardio that you want. That's up to you. Uh, there may be some justification for doing that, but it's not going to keep you alive one minute past God wants you to live. And that's just the plain truth of the matter. That's just the plain fact of the matter. When they say peace and safety, because all the experts have decided this is the peaceful way or the safe way, it's not going to work. The Bible says that, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's where you get your health. That's where you get your liberty. That's where you get your principles. That's where you get your manner of life. It's very clear here in the Scripture. Very clear. He says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Uh, the Christian can live in such a way that he has enough fellowship with God that he sees very clearly the signs of the times. And God really doesn't give uh, the church members signs of the times that indicate the rapture. But we, do but we do have the signs of the times that indicate the second advent. And uh, we're close. Even if we're 250 years off, we're very close because we can see the signs. We can see those signs. Uh, but the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter number 1, it says if we walk in darkness. Uh, and uh, if, he said if we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with God, we lie and do not the truth. So this matter here of us not being in darkness has a lot to do with our fellowship, not just our the fact that we're saved, but our fellowship with God, how we see the Bible, how we see ourselves, how we see the world. Do we see it from a Bible perspective or do we see it from the perspective of the experts? A Christian who believes in Christ and is truly saved, but still puts his faith and confidence in the experts first, has a very cloudy vision of what he should do. Should I, should I do more cardio or should I trust the Lord? Well, cardio good for you, and especially if you're gonna if you uh, in a working environment that where you need a good heart rate and you know. Uh, you need those things. You certainly do. If you're going to play basketball or something, you're going to need a good heart rate. If you want to play basketball to lose, then just sit around the couch all week and play once a week. But I'm not saying that there's not benefits to being in good shape. What, what I'm saying is the experts say, if you'll do this, you'll live. You'll do that, you'll live. Like you'd be in good health and die of a heart attack. You'd be, in, be, be able to run 25 miles and fall dead of a heart attack. Being in good physical shape is not the the staff upon which you should lean for your support. God is the place where you should lean for your support. And then after that, you can do all the cardio or, or, or uh, ignore all the cardio you want to. And so this is, the day, this, this is the day and time in which we live already. We have already entered into that day where men are saying peace and safety. And they've been saying it for uh, for more than 50 years, for more than 60, 70, 80, or 90 years. Uh, they've been saying, we've got it figured out now, and we're going to usher in world peace, and we're going to fight the war to end all wars, and we're going to fight poverty, and yet more people are entering into the ranks of poverty every day. We're going to fight the war on drugs, and more people are getting... Listen, these people that that appear to be running the world, they can't fight anything. They can't win anything. They can't defeat anything. God is the way to, God is the one to follow. God's way is the way to go. And that's exactly what he's talking to us here about the end time. That's what he's talking to us about 
in this passage about the end times, the second advent. Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Listen, you're in on it. If you're one of God's children, you can be in on it. From time to time, you know, you might go to church and and uh, you show up every Sunday and all of a sudden you hear about some plan for a meeting or a plan for some church event and you've, you're only just hearing about it in June and maybe it's going to take place in October but somebody's been planning that since January or February or March and this thing has been in planning and they've been uh, they've been uh, checking prices and they've been checking opportunities and they've been uh, lining up speakers and they've been doing all this work behind the scenes for months and months, but you're just finding out on out about it. Well, let me take that little illustration and let you know that one of these days, this world as we know it's going to come to an end, and you can be in on it right now. The plans are being made right now. As a matter of fact, the plan's been made, plan been around, but you can get on get in on it now. He says, "But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief." You can get in on it right now. The uh, the plan been made long ago, but the plan is in operation right now. The plan is being the plan is being worked out right now, and you can be in on it. It doesn't have to overtake you as a thief. Life is what life is. Life doesn't have to take you by surprise tomorrow. You can get in on it right now and be a part of it right now, and have enough insight to see what it could potentially happen tomorrow. And what could potentially happen tomorrow many times has uh, or is a direct response to what happens today. What did you do today? Probably going to have a direct impact on what happens tomorrow. And I was just thinking about it this morning before I went to the Lord in prayer. And I said, Lord, I want to pray to you this morning about some problems that could potentially show up in my family. It could potentially show up in my children. But Lord, I want to talk to you about those things before those things show up. Uh, God forbid that a child should get sick and I should only pray about their health once they are sick. Or I should only be concerned about my child's uh, influences, the things that have an influence on my child. God forbid that I should only be concerned with those things after they start listening to ACDC or or Marilyn Manson or whoever the latest uh, star is, the, whoever the latest expert in music is. God forbid that I should, should wait until they... Uh, come in contact with COVID before I start praying for my children in regards to COVID. And we we approach many things like that in our lives and we really shouldn't. We really should read our Bibles, be in fellowship with God, see what the possibilities of this lifestyle is, see what the possibilities of that lifestyle is, see what the possibilities of belief is, see what the possibilities of disbelief is, see the dangers of rebellion, see the, see the benefits of submission, and be a part of the Christian life now before it overtakes us before before ill effect overtakes us as a thief in the night. As one day the return of the Lord is going to come and catch people like thieves, like a thief in the night. And the fact of the matter is they could have been well informed. At some point maybe their grandparents or their great grandparents were well informed about this subject. But maybe... Uh, 
the music industry or the political system or the entertainment in industry uh, came in at some point in place or maybe economics came in in the form of job opportunities and took the emphasis away from the things of God and, and really uh, robbed and tricked generations after generations uh, of this of your particular family or mine into forgetting about these things so that one day uh, perhaps the coming of the Lord and the judgment of the Lord and the day of the Lord as it's mentioned here overtake our families as a thief in the night. I don't want that for my family. You should want that for your family as well. Your children, you're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others. Don't let politics put you to sleep. Don't let the world put you to sleep. Don't let music put you to sleep. Don't let television put you to sleep. Don't let entertainment put you to sleep. Don't let your job put you to sleep. you got to work. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That goes for everybody. That's not just a, a moral statement. That's, a, that's a, a physical statement. You say you're worried about your health. Well, if you, don't eat a, if you don't work a lot, don't eat a lot. That's neither here nor there. Listen, let's stop emphasizing those things and let's start emphasizing uh, God and, and, and the Word of God and get involved with uh, God and His direction, His life, His prescription for our life, His program for our life. Get involved with those things and then whatever's coming upon the world uh, won't overtake us as a thief in the night. Don't let it put us to sleep. Don't let our jobs put us to sleep. Our economics put us to sleep. Our politics put us to sleep. There's things more important. Uh, win people to Christ, then uh, you'll get the you'll get the desired effect. I really believe that. I, I don't believe that America is a great nation because George Washington. Uh, good things about George Washington and bad. Good things about Thomas Jefferson and bad. Good things about John Adams and bad. There, there's some good good qualities in a lot of people, but I don't make any any mistake about it. The blessings of this country came from a population of people who believed God's word and had reverence for God's word. There was in 1700 and 1650 and 1776 there was drunkards and prostitutes and and drugs and alcohol and there's always been stuff like that but there was a there was a consensus in the population that God was good and right and worthy and that God was holy and you could find you could find corruption in politics, anytime you want to, anywhere you look, you can find corruption. You can find corruption in the best of politicians. You can find self-will in the best of politicians. But underneath it all, there was a population who those people in power knew if they stepped across the line, there would be, there would be consequences because it was a godly people. Now they've given you Elvis and, and uh, the Beatles and Elton John and Liberace and Eminem and... Uh, those uh, qualities of the people have been changed and have been uh, you've been tricked you've been misled and the people who misled you were experts and they said there's peace and safety here but destruction is what you'll get destruction is what you'll find but what do we find in the word of God on the on the opposite side of that the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is 
there is liberty. You want liberty? You want, you want restoration in your country? You want revival in your country? makes no difference which country it is. could be Russia. could be Afghanistan. It could be Saudi Arabia. could be any of these places. But if you want revival in your country, win people to Christ. Win people to Christ. You say, but if we win people to Christ, they'll kill us. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did to Christ. They killed him. That's exactly what they did to Simon Peter. They killed him. It's exactly what they did to Paul the Apostle. They killed him. It's exactly what they did to Tyndale. They killed him. It's exactly what they did to the Baptists. They killed them. It's exactly what they did to the Presbyterians. They killed them. It's exactly what they, that's exactly what the world has always done. They've killed people. That's what they do. They say peace and safety, then they kill you. All right. Well, the Bible says, Ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Don't let it overtake you as a thief. Submit yourself to the Word of God. Submit yourself to study. Submit yourself to the things uh, that would put you in good fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Spread that just as far as you can. This is the only hope for the world. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day. And you get enough people converted. And the Bible tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. doesn't have to be America doesn't have to be any place in particular. Just wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Liberty, the liberty of Christ goes far beyond the laws of man. I can promise you that. All right, we'll, uh, we're about 29 minutes here. So we'll uh, cut this off here uh, this evening and we'll pick up next time. And uh, well, we'll, we'll pick up probably again in verse 1, but we'll move through this a little faster this time. Get down to verse 9 especially.